Welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about bringing a game with no rules to a convention to trick your playtesters into writing them for you. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we're going to be talking about the games we playtested at Metatopia and future directions for A Space Between and Pasión de las Pasiones. We are back from Metatopia. We are. We tried to record this podcast once before in the car on the way back. Yeah. But we had some technical issues with the digital recorder and it just didn't happen. Yeah. So it ended up being here a we thing are. where we were like, we might be able to do this. Also, we might die. So <laughs> just made decisions. <laughs> I was never worried. I was never worried about us dying. I was only worried the about us dying. Gave us, uh, some problems. But well, so how was your Metatopia? My Metatopia was pretty good. Um it what ended up being very different from previous Metatopias. I think I feel like every year I come back and I say, wow, that was really different from other years. <laughs> but I, I just spent an enormous amount of time doing like community organizing stuff. Yeah. So like I, I spent a decent amount of time at Metatopia, like kind of just going up to people and putting them on blast <laughs> and like getting into like little miniature arguments on how communities should be run and like having some very wonderful, very uplifting conversations about how uh, communities should be run. But like to, to give an idea, uh, by the time I'd gotten to the end of the con uh, through a bunch of people, I developed a side personality that is Brandon, the code switching angry dog <laughs> that I'll be like, yeah, yeah. And so then this person's coming in and they're trying to tell us that we can't do this thing. And bork, 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 bork. And just like hopping back and forth. Cause that's essentially what I did the whole weekend. Well, I think from what I could see of it, the community building that you did was good. I hope and so. Like, like a lot of it, I think, well, I don't know if it culminated, but it, but it, but that included, uh, you did a panel on Latinx games. And yeah. Game designers, which I attended and was fascinated by. That was really cool because we had we had five people up front, uh, and that is more Latinx game people than were at Metatopia in total three years ago, I think. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and they all had different, like slightly different life experiences. Yeah, um, because three of you were American, but two mm-hmm. of you were uh, Mexican, and. So it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun to listen to you talk about how how even from like sort of different areas of the country and with different life experiences and different backgrounds, you a lot of a lot of you had similar experiences and had come to de- develop similar like games games that weren't similar because like Pession is not exactly like a cartel, <laughs> but it has a lot of the same um it has a lot of the same desires in, in yeah. what, like in what you are trying to do. Like you are both like you and, and Mark Diaz Truman are both trying to tell the story, like a story that is important to you. Yeah. And like even more like just stark in that moment of like, Oh wow. Look at us building similar games is like looking at, uh, Alastor Guzman and Miguel Espinosa who both wrote like urban fantasy games that take yeah. place in Mexico as like, and like that's like an important part of what's going on and that's just like really cool scene because it's like oh yeah that's a great setting for it uh yeah. and we got we got uh, into I, I an just... argument we had an agreement <laughs> <laughs> i i came out of that panel as someone who had already backed nawal mm-hmm. on kickstarter wanting to play that game even more <laughs> it's so cool i can't wait for us to get a chance to play it 
I'm really pumped to play it. Um, so yeah, that was fun. Um, this was probably maybe one of my best Minotopias nice. ever. I think that my I think that second Minotopia that we went to, which okay. must have been 2016, yes. I think, um, was maybe one of my best like social experiences because okay. I like we knew people for the first time, and so it was mm-hmm. cool to like meet. But the group was still pretty small that we were like hanging out with, yeah. And so we had a very cool like just I had a very good social experience there. Yeah. But I have for whatever reason picked I I have just I have I have sort of like uh, in the past <laughs> described it as falling on the sword of game design. <laughs> of I have consistently chosen some games that like were either really rough or needed help or the game designer didn't want creative criticism or constructive criticism at all so much um and this year i i i played a bunch of really good games good um i i I felt like i gave i like and also i've played i I got like last year i played um uh, i can't remember the name what it was called but i played a couple games where i was just like i have nothing to add like it's Mm. a good game but i have nothing to add like from my life experiences yeah um or game design experiences. Um, so this year, I felt like I had stuff to say about all the games. The the, the creators that I played with were uh, open to constructive criticism, and yeah. and and then also had a cool like social stuff. Like I I there were a couple times where I like just walked in circles for a while and didn't have anyone <laughs> who, like who was around. But like we met some cool uh, fans of both of our podcasts. Yeah, that was I so talked fun. Game design. Someone who played my game, I think that they they may even listen to this podcast. But someone who had played my game last year yeah. came up and was t- and talked to me about it a little bit. And, and I'm sorry that I've forgotten your name. Um, I'll have to like hit me up on Twitter or something, and we can reconnect because I also I think ran off to lunch because I was starving. Mm, um, yeah. But I had I had a really good experience, and and I, there's a lot of I I this was the first year where I really came away um, feeling like there was a a, a theme in the things that okay. I that I did and played with, and hopefully we'll get to talk about that a little bit today. Cool. Yeah, because I think one of the big things we want to do today is talk about the games we played, what we would want to steal from those games, where yeah. where things are going with different games and all of that, kind of give like a peek into Metatopia if you're not able to make it, because not everyone can. Yeah, it's it's far. Yeah. I'm, I, can, I continue to be shocked that people like Randy Lubin fly <laughs> out from California every year and... <laughs> I didn't get to see Randy a whole lot this time because he was busy running around doing everything, it sounds like. Miguel and Alastor both came... Miguel, Ileana, and Alastor all came in from Mexico. Like... Yeah. That's that's wild. They had to get passports Ooh. and stuff. Yeah. Like, it, it looked like Alastor wasn't going to make it because of visa problems. Yeah. I know there's a couple of people who drive down from Canada. Yeah, um, yeah. But even the Toronto area isn't that far, actually. It's, I mean, it's eight hours or something mm-hmm. like that, but it's not crazy, crazy far. Yeah. People drive that far to go to Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, shall so we talk, talk about, about some games? Let's talk about games. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about games. Okay, do you want to talk um, about games we played or games we play tested first? Let's talk about, um, let's first talk about games that we played. Cool, cool, cool. Sounds good. Do you yeah. want me to go first so or would you like to go first? I can go first. Sure. Um, so I played a couple cool games. Um, I played I played Escapement, which okay. is a game by Alex Tully. It's a steampunk, um, or yeah, a steampunk, steam fantasy. Steam fantasy, um, he was calling it, because I played that one too. Powered by the Apocalypse game. Um, it's very interesting. It's doing some, some cool stuff with Powered by the Apocalypse. 
Um, I don't know if we talked about your idea for a roguelike PBTA game on air. I think we haven't. I think we've mentioned it, but we didn't talk about it because we talked about it on our trip to Metatopia is when a a ton of the design happened. We're going to have to come back and do a whole episode on that because I think that was one of the cool, interesting things that came up out of that um because that game uses it doesn't use playbooks it uses a deck of cards where you build sort of like build your playbook um in a cool way yeah yeah i played armored society which is a brendan conway game which i know you played last year but it sounds like it's wildly wildly different yeah i Um, i intentionally didn't sign up for it because i knew that i had played it the year before and now I'm kicking myself. <laughs> that was a cool game. I believe it's PBTA, but I think it is. What, it's it's Magpie. What, what I, if it's Magpie, it's PBTA. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, it's Magpie. But I also did not play. We just did character creation. But character creation is so cool, and that is a perfect example of how you can build like deep richness into a game. It's in, it's a game that encourages you to build your characters um, by rolling on tables because so much of the game story is about. Um, society and how you where where you are born into a society uh, both sort of um, geographically and as well as economically determines your lot in life and if you are born to a merchant family you're probably going to get sucked into that merchant uh, sort of story uh, and 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 uh, job and if you're a noble you'll get you'll do that and if you're uh, if you're just born on the streets then you're probably gonna like always struggle and and so that was cool it's um it's a very cool game and i'm super excited to see how the gameplay actually works out nice and then I played the last game I played that wasn't mine. Well, or I played two games by um, Tim Hutchings, who is a uh, I think he would probably struggle to even identify himself a little bit. He's a LARP designer, I'm going to say with question mark. <laughs> okay. Um, but like the games that we played were card based and one one was not even really card based. <laughs> I don't know if I've told you this story. Um, so Apollo 47 is a game about techno babble and mon- and space mundanity. It's you play roughly you play people who are who are doing moon missions for nasa but it's apollo 47 so people have been on there have been 47 missions to the moon at this point it's just mundane it's just like okay okay it's another thing it's super rules light um but we sit down at the table and he slams down this i kid you not like maybe have foot thick oh i saw a picture of this oh my god Um, yeah it's a hard-backed book about a foot thick and the thing that's hilarious is it's about 12 pages of actual game text um, and then 1,500 pages of just open like uh, NASA documents that are yeah. available to print. Um, and the game is all about you just like one of you plays the the astronaut who talks their way through what they're doing. So they're always just communicating like now I'm stepping out of the, the, the vehicle. Yeah. Uh, now I am grabbing this tool or that tool and everyone else plays people who are in NASA or back up on the other spaceships. Um, and, and you walk them through like super mundane things like, Hey, could you open up this cabinet? Can okay. you just confirm that there's a glove in there? Can you confirm that there is a syringe in there? 
Okay. Can you confirm that there is a, a, a box? Can you open the box? And you always have to like let them confirm. And it's just like walking them through like the most mundane things. And it's trying to not have anything interesting happen. It's super weird. There's like literally there are no rules. Um, interesting. And so it's really hard to explain. Yeah. It's just a strange mind bending experience. And so you've got like also this huge document that has all of these things like here's the the contents list of a cabinet or is like here are checklists for turning on the rover for example and so you can just like have people run through this it's a hyper bizarre weird game yeah i like crazy enjoyed it yeah um and then he had another game that i think i may not have told you about um that i it's called the sargasso sea i believe okay and it's a it's a uh or sargasso space it's still like i think not quite published yet um but you play a bunch of people who have spaceships that have all crashed in the same like litter field and um so what happens is you have you draw five cards that are like blueprint style like these are the pieces that i need uh space piece like spaceship pieces that i need to fix my ship yeah and then you all are floating out in space and you've run into these other people who are doing the same thing looking for uh in the like wreckage of other ships the pieces you need to fix your ship and so oh, that's cool. You, everyone draws a card. Yeah. And the, the you draw you basically you draw a card and it's almost in that like apples to apples cards against humanity style where mm-hmm. everyone has has like white cards and you draw one black card. Okay. Um and then the person who has the card has that one card they only they can see it and they have to describe the piece that is on their card, but it won't be oriented the right way and it's definitely broken from the blueprint piece and you have to describe it. And everyone else is looking at their cards going, is he describing or is she describing this thing that I need? Yeah. And if you think that it is, then you take it, but you don't look at it and you put them <laughs> face down on the table Okay. Until, until a couple people, I think it's at least two people, have filled all five of their parts. Okay. And then, and then once that happens, it triggers the end game where everyone, uh, you stop and everyone picks one of the two ships that are, that are both completed. Okay to leave with them and then once you've like segregated and said i'm gonna go with this person or i'm gonna go with that person they flip over and if all of their matches were correct you get out safely but if your one of your matches is not <laughs> you explode because the ship wasn't fixed right oh that's so good i love that and it's all that's about like really how cool. do you communicate something to people yeah and like how do you communicate how sure you are yeah yeah oh that's cool that's really neat um, so those are the games I played and okay. I took some, I talked to, I, I went to some panels too. And yeah. I know that's not a thing that you typically go to. Yeah. Um, but I think when we loop around to the end about like talking about, uh, themes that came out of the game design we saw in, at this Metatopia, I can come back and talk about those panels then. Cool. So yeah. what, did, what did you play? So I played, I played a ton of games. Um, I played, uh, I'm just going to try to go through an order. Uh, so needless to say, I was play testing passion, blah, 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 blah. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Time Peakers by Matthew McFarland. I almost signed up for that. It was really cool. It's this uh, PPTA game. You are, you know, it, it's it's a kids on bike genre game, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I think it has some really interesting, neat things going on. Uh, the playtest of it ended up being a little. It, it was it was a little weird. Just I think because I think it is a game that benefits some from having a really clear direction on the GM side of things. And I think uh, I think Matt was trying to keep it like really open for us and have us really drive it. Mm-hmm. And I think it is more of the mask style game 
that having someone else drive the big point home really yeah. works in a big way. That's actually a weird theme that I saw was games that the that sometimes the focus of what you're doing is being put into like a very like open space. And that was one of the parts that didn't really work super well. Hmm. Uh, like, I think there's something to be said for games that say, hey, this is what your story's about. And then you play the story. Uh, because like there was, there was a lot of stuff that you spend like making the difficulty, making the, the threat to the world and stuff like that, that was neat, but I think it didn't, it didn't benefit or push the game to the extent that the moves and things involved in it did, which were really cool. And I, I, I would love to play this game again. This is maybe my, my pull for kids on bikes genre stuff currently. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I played mutants in the night, which is by DC who is Dungeon Commander Online. Uh, mm-hmm. DC is really great. Uh, they're one of the... I, I think they were one of the IGDN scholarship winners, uh, which was very cool that they got the chance to bring the game. Mutants in the Night is a Blades in the Dark uh, hack, which I've not had an enormous amount of success with Blades in the Dark, and this clicked pretty well. It's a game that is kind of like taking the X-Men formula and saying, okay, but let's really push this. Like, you live in a mutant-safe zone. You live in, like, an isolated neighborhood that has been specifically set that way by the government, right? You're on, like, you're in a city, but you're essentially in, like, a mutant reservation in that city. Or, like, a mutant ghetto in that city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're playing characters that are stuck and trying to deal with the outside world around them. And like a big part of the game is looking at marginalization and looking at how you interact with the world. And it was really, really cool. Uh, the playbooks have just very gr- like the playbooks more so than masks are based on the powers that you have. Yeah. So I played the prestige, which was like an illusionist sort of thing. Cool. And so I got to like transform my face into like, a scary rodent looking face in order to like <laughs> snarl at somebody and try to like stab people. I had, I had a ton of fun with it. It was really cool. Yeah. Uh, I was, ba- I was playing a guy named possum. So I was having nice. fun. Yeah. Also important to note, uh, and I'll throw a link to this in the show notes that DC also streams their game design on yeah. Twitch. And so I, I caught a, I caught the, st- uh, the last stream that they did. Uh, maybe it was yesterday or the day before. Uh, and that was really cool to watch. Yeah, and it's something that uh, I think you and I are both kind of interested in. Obviously, because we do a podcast of this kind of game design, but we've been both talking about longer form game design yeah. streams or podcasts or something. DC and Izzy, who's Praxis Descends, both do these kind of longer form game design things that are really they're really inspiring me. They're making me want to do it. As soon as I'm working on something that isn't passion, I'm gonna do that just because I I don't know where things fall like legally with med- yeah. with uh magpie and everything like that uh speaking about games about marginalization i also played the others by nell rabin who is another uh igdn uh winner uh and she made this very cool game that is about playing people within a marginalized community and the stats that you use ppta style are based on not your character but upon your community so, like, the way you interact with the world is through the lens of your place in that community. Oh, it's so cool. It was so cool. And it has, like, it's, you'd like it. It has, I think, four basic moves, five basic moves. 
Um, but one of the basic moves is when the authority tell when the authorities tell you to put your hands up. And that is oh like, my God, oh, my God, it's such just like a powerful, direct, amazing move. And I'm so excited to see more from this game. Uh, but mm-hmm. like this had that same thing that Time Peekers had that it was like, OK, here's your laser like focus. That's so freaking cool. And here's the part where you said, here, I'm going to put some of this stuff into the hands of the players because the players can come up with brilliant stuff. And I'm like, no, no, just give me exactly what you want to make. Because yeah. like, like it was, it's a really cool setup for like making a group of people that is different from the major uh, population. But we basically made like a group of like middle management that like <laughs> have places to live, have food, have like yeah. some problems like it, but like the hands up move didn't really jive with the setting that we made. Um, and it's mm. so, like, we weren't really playing marginalized people in the way that I think that she wanted us to be playing, which mm. like, so just like some of the moves just didn't quite hit as hard. And so like, I spent a lot of the weekend going there and going like, no, I want to see the world you want to show us, show us the world. Um, and I think she's now going to, uh, which I'm really excited about. That's cool. I was actually just to like riff off of that briefly. Yeah. Um, I watched a someone pointed me towards a Adam Kobol and um, John Harper did a stream a while back about how to hack Blades in the Dark. Cool. And one of the things they talked about was like, it, like you don't have to make a, like even just for fantasy, you don't yeah. have to make a generic fantasy. Like it's no. okay to say your game takes place in Duskwall. Yeah, and, absolutely. Like and then here's what the the police like you don't if you and like he's working on or was working on a like a um an expansion where you play the members of the police force. And cool. it's like you don't have to think about like what generic fantasy police people look like and yeah. and act like because our setting is explicitly this. Yes. So that's totally fine. And like and I think that that is a theme that we should take from I think that's what you're saying is like you yeah. don't I mean, especially when you're talking about like playing a marginalized community, just say mm-hmm. your game is about that. And then make everyone make characters that are that fit that setting. Because yeah. that's fine. And because I think like that's one of the places that mutants in the night hits really, really hard on yeah. uh, is it has a setting that is very explicitly this marginalized, this specific marginalized community. And like, yeah. it encourages you and says like, Hey, be intersectional. And it really pushes you to be intersectional on that. But even if you don't, you'll still hit the marginalized community because it's given you that that's been handed mm-hmm. to you. Um, I mean, that's and, what um, that's what Armored Society did too. It yeah. said, "Here are the like five major houses in not Ireland, ancient <sighs> uh, ancient Ireland, and like roll on a die. And when you're born into that society, like tough luck, that's what you are now." Yeah, and like, and here are the five jobs you're gonna do. Pick one of them. And that that's something that I I've been very guilty of is like Pasión dos Pasiones started out as a very generic telenovela system. And the play sets are me trying to tighten that up and go like, no, 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 no. Here is the setting. Here's your setting. So you're good. Yeah. Um, I think that that is uh, like a huge thing. And like Nell's game is phenomenal. I loved the others. I had such an amazing time playing the others. Um, I just want to see even more of that. <laughs> I have another idea for you. I, I threw another idea. I threw in early, to let people in. I threw an idea at Brandon for how to make Passion a little bit better um, mm-hmm. in terms of one of the things that you were struggling with. And I have yeah. another idea for you based off of one of the panels that I went to. Nice. I think will be really good. We need to do a Passion episode soon, I think, because I've got some ideas yeah. I want to kick out. Um, I also played Light and Shadow by Alastor Guzman, which is a, 
I think Spark System game. Uh, that so. is, uh, it's urban fantasy set in Mexico City. I had a really nice time with it. Really fun. Um, there's definitely some things that that need to be tightened up, just in terms of like getting the powers that you have to feel really distinct without being too off. Like just like distinct without being spells, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think Alistair is definitely like treading that line in a really interesting way. I mean, I'm definitely excited to see more of it. Uh, it's not PBTA. And so I was, <laughs> I was worried I would have nothing to add, but I, I think I was able, I hope I was able to give something. Um, I also played Escapement, uh, which is that Steam fantasy game. Mm-hmm. This is so funny because I, like, I think even we have a recording of me talking about making a roguelike card-based PBTA game. But in the car to Metatopia, you and I talked a ton about it. And like, I have a much broader, bigger vision of it. Mm-hmm. And then I got to play escapement and I was like, well, damn, Alex, no one's going to, no one's going to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's because when, and I signed up for it thinking that when I heard card based PBTA, yeah. I was thinking like, um, is zombie world is zombie world. Yeah. Uh, that or like yeah. the cards, uh, give you, um, like story elements and stuff like that, I think, or there, uh, it's the resolution mechanic. But this is actually like build your character with these with with the, and get moves based off of cards you draw. Yeah, Zombie World has getting the moves off the cards you draw also. Okay, but like 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 my roguelike game is literally your moves are on your equipment. Yeah, and guess we're what? We have to come back. It's exactly what it is too. in Escapement. Yeah, so I'm pissed. Uh, no, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a, it was a good time. It's a very different game from what I'm writing, and that's totally. It may good. also be the first time we've ever gone to Metatopia and played the same game. It might be, except for Noir World, that we were in the same uh, one. That's right. We were, and we were literally in the same game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This was the same game, but different different play tests. Yeah. Um, I played Descent into Midnight. Uh, that was presented by Taylor LeBresh, which is a game by Rich Howard, Richard Kreutz Landry, and Taylor LeBresh. Uh, I theoretically have agreed to help with it, but I haven't yet. <laughs> like... <laughs> I I had I sent a, a a list of notes on basic moves once, mm-hmm. and that's like literally all I've done other than this playtest. That counts. Uh, You're a game designer. I mean, I am a game, a game designer. designer right? I, I am a game designer, no question. <laughs> I'm just not a game designer of Descent into Midnight. In the same way, I'm not a game designer on Escapement or Fiasco in a Box. Right? Like, I just I haven't yeah. worked on it. <laughs> um. But it's a very cool game. It's like this psycho, psychosocial, psychic fish underwater world apart from humanity game that like focuses on community and stuff like that. And what we were working on was looking at how violence works. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that's been very interesting with this is I've been able to make suggestions on how I think violence might be a way to to work it, how to like discourage violence within the moves, how to make sure the moves hit the right way on violence. Mm-hmm. and then see the discussion afterwards of the designers on it because i'm in a little twitter chat with them yeah which is cool yeah um and so kind of like seeing how that's shaping there's some really really cool stuff in it um i think the concept the way it is put together the playbooks are all like really not only just really quality because like you know you'd hope things to be really quality yeah, but really cool and really different. Like I could, I would, I would not play the characters I normally tend to play, uh, if I was playing this game. 
hmm. because it's it's vastly different. It feels like a vastly different world, which it's um, supposed to. So that's exactly, good. yeah. Um, and just like like any PBTA game that is being tested, basic moves always need a little bit of tightening. I would say that for any PBTA game I played ever, mm-hmm. maybe <laughs> there's no way to ever hit your PBTA moves perfect. But you know, uh, that is good. That's it's functioning and moving along. I also played Cartel uh, by Mark Diaz Truman in an off the books thing, but like Cartel <laughs> still has some like some some changes had been made. I think yeah that hadn't been tested yet, and that was that's such a good game. That was maybe my favorite game session of any game I've ever played. Um, it was amazingly badass. It was dark and sad and wonderful. So good. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it because that's just a game people know already. Um, and I played a quick round of Dungeon Dome by James D'Amato. Um, which was very fun. It was like this kind of like light, like semi-casual, uh, competitive card game, Mm -hmm. uh, that feel that felt very like, it felt like something that I could very easily like pick up and play around and then be done and have played a fun game and like had a fun time and been a little competitive. It's kind of like if smash up wasn't awful, um, (laughs) (laughs) throw in direct shade on smash up right there but like yeah smash up is a game that i want to be good and i hate it <laughs> like every time i play smash up i'm like will this game just end but i yeah, want I it to be good like um and i keep going back to it because i want it to be good but uh dungeon Dome, i think is you know <laughs> like yeah it has yeah, the yeah. same mechanic of grabbing two decks of cards and mixing them up because you're playing which the two cool. characters which is just cool um, it has very cool characters from the show. Uh, I think that's going to be a really neat one. And, uh, that's all the games I played. Cool. You played more games than I did. I got to sign up for more games next year. <laughs> well, being I honest, I signed up for three fewer than that. Okay. Uh, because I didn't sign up initially for time peakers, cartel oh, okay. or dungeon dome. Yeah. Uh, time peakers. I kind of grabbed because I was like, Oh, I've got a free slot. And mm-hmm. it sounded interesting. It was PBTA, yeah. so I went I did for have, it. At one point, I had a free slot, and I, I, um, I signed up for as an alternate for a game, but then I ended up bailing and on the alternateness and going to a panel that was totally great, and I'm I don't Good. regret it. And then yeah, and then Cartel was like, I was hanging out with the Magpies and going yeah. like, you need to let me play Cartel because I've never played Cartel before. Yeah, and then Dungeon Dome was like, I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of how Metatopia goes sometimes. Yeah, there, there's a possibility next year I might try to play it even more like that. Well, cool. Um, um, so that's kind of been our little bit of a discussion on games we played. Yeah. Do you want to talk about how your playtests went? I was playtesting Pasión de las Pasiones, uh, perhaps obviously. I I had like vague plans that I was hoping I could play test some other game as well, but uh, none of that came to fruition, <laughs> and so it was just Passion, uh, which I'm I'm really excited about. There's a whole bunch of stuff that uh, that has been added into the new version that I hadn't seen yet. Uh, play testing it has been kind of a weird experience in terms of the Metatopia playtesting. Because there's been a couple of factors that have just been uh, kind of different from what you'd expect from going to a con, like three different times with it, right? Like, there are people that have played uh, in all three cons that I've brought it to. Uh, I have no idea how they have managed to get into the game all three times. 
Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I think that's gotta be just one of those, those quirks of a hand done system that yeah. like has made some lack of randomness there. Uh, but I, I don't know yet whether that's useful or unuseful. My, my gut says that as much as I've enjoyed playing with these people, that it has become less useful just because like there's so much, only so much I can glean from the different play tests if they've already seen it done. Uh, and I, I think also like the two hour time slot is not super useful for me where I am in Passion, right? Like I know character creation more or less works. There's some changes in character creation that I got a good chance to test. Um, the playset movement, the movement from questions on the playbook to the questions on the playset, I think was really functional. Uh, but it does definitely require having the materials in front of you. So that is a thing I need to consider. Um, which is almost more of like a layout thing, I guess. Just that maybe I need a player-facing sheet for each of the playsets. Which lets me put in some additional stuff there. Which is not a bad thing. That could be a really fun thing to have. Especially if it's essentially only something that you look at during uh, setup. But, uh, they went overall well. This is kind of a thing that, that I feel like you and I should have a conversation at some point about being helpful as playtesters mm-hmm. and eliciting helpful playtest feedback. Um, I think I'm actually going to talk a little bit about that this this week on my little stream because yeah. it's just like kind of on my mind as like sometimes getting the feedback of like, oh, wow, yeah, this is working. This is good is so unhelpful. Yeah. I also can't imagine you've now done this largely by yourself for three years and like so much of my playtesting has been let the players go and play mm-hmm. because my game doesn't require a GM. I just sort of yeah. serve as a facilitator. And so I've gained so much just by being able to like sit back and watch what the players do. Yeah, the fact definitely. that you're in there like playing the game means that you can't kind of like sit back and watch as much. And it's and I, I like I almost wish that we had planned this time for me to like sit in on some of your play tests to take notes. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Uh, and I've, I've been, I've gotten better at taking notes because the nice thing about Passion is that a good amount of the scenes are things where it's like throw two people in a room and then the GM sits back and waits yeah. to see for that six minus, right? Cause like they don't need a golden opportunity. The players are going at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think I've been able to get some usefulness from that. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure yet. Uh, the big systems I wanted to test out were the addition of the playset, which I think people really seem to like. I think people liked having just kind of like a core key idea of where things are happening. Mm -hmm. I think people more or less liked the NPCs, although I need to work out a better way to present them. I think one thing that's going to be helpful is if the NPCs have pictures on the back of them. So Mm. you can look and see like, oh yeah, this character and like really make like a one-to-one connection with them. I think that's going to be really useful. But people wanted to get their get their claws into into an npc and use their npc that's good so that was good um i we didn't get a chance to use their moves because it's a uh, like you know by the time character creation is done it's an hour of session yeah and 
I know you can skip character creation and just go right into the <laughs> session, but that's kind of tough to do with this game because people don't have the genre knowledge necessarily. And so character creation kind of serves as a crash course in what is a telenovela. Uh, so the NPCs, the playsets, I think that worked okay. I think that worked relatively well. Uh, the way experiences handle was changed to keys, which it's tough to say in, again, in a, in a one hour session, you know, like, was it that people weren't hitting their keys or not no noticing or remembering to write down hitting their keys mm -hmm. because it was an hour and they didn't care? Or is it because like it just isn't as functional or it doesn't work as well? Uh, because like, honestly in a one shot, if you're playing a game that uses keys, like, yeah, you might hit, and you might hit uh, an advancement. When we played Cartel, uh, just kind of off the books, I did hit an advancement, and it, it actually ended up saving my character's life. Mm -hmm. But, like, for the most part, people don't really care in a one-shot about advancing or not. And, like, Cartel has a really, really short advancement track. You're not... You're supposed to hit things very quickly because you're going to die. But, so, I kind of need to see in some longer tests. So I'm going to be grabbing our home groups for some of that. I know Magpie's doing some testing on their end. I wonder if you couldn't, in a in a short con slot like that, if you were like really worried about just the keys, yeah. just hand people basically the keys yeah. and say, play to this, see how well you can play to this, yeah. and don't hand them any of the other basic moves. Well, well that's basically what uh, Jason Cordoba was saying to me, I think year one with Passion that the audience, not the keys exactly, but that the audience response mm -hmm. is a game. And that I could take yeah. that and make a game out of it, which, well, you know, I, I yeah, see I mean, that. Well, I, I didn't mean, like, permanently do that. Oh, just, oh, just, as as like a way to, just as a way to say, here's the thing I'm testing, literally ignore everything I'm not testing. Hmm. On, only work these keys. That's not a bad idea. That could be Maybe really give them fun the basic thing to try moves. out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe don't even give them the basic moves. Just run the basic yeah. moves for them. Because yeah. as the GM for Passion, you can do that. Yeah. Hmm. And then as a way to like hyper focus in. Um, yeah, because I think, I think that's that's what you need to do with playtesting. I think general playtesting is bad. General yeah. playtesting is bad and useless. And Unless like you're talking about a game testing. that's like really mature or if you were um, hmm. if you yeah. were playtesting, um, if you were like, Man, Passion is like is done. Yeah. But I want to play test another playset. Yeah, definitely. Then it's like, then let's just play and see if this playset still works. Yeah. Because with the playsets, a big thing is, is it interesting? And yeah. so if it's just a matter of is it interesting, then like like uh, most of the playtests I've been in at Metatopia, the majority of the feedback was either yeah, it's good. Or, oh my gosh, that's so good. And neither of those are useful. Like, <laughs> both yeah. of those are completely useless feedback. And, like, it's nice. Uh, and, like, you know, yeah, as a community, it's nice to support each other and everything like that. And it's nice to hear, hey, your game works. I like your game. Yeah. But it's just so useless from, yeah. like, a design standpoint. Or you do what I kind of did of like bring a thing that you know is bad 
<laughs> and see what people say. But like that's easy for me to say when my game is an hour long and I can run it twice in a in a play set in mm. a play, in a two hour play test. But when you're talking about like barely having enough time in a two hour yeah. play test to even get into it to intentionally bring something you know is bad just to see if people agree, <laughs> yeah, is yeah. hard. Um, but I think that you also got like some really useful feedback. Yeah. Um, so just to, to make sure I'm hitting all of my points, uh, I think the basic moves are hitting much harder and much better. Uh, it used to be that every time a basic move would come up, the game would grind to a freaking halt. And so that isn't happening anymore, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the play sets are working. I think I want to see more play sets, make sure it isn't just this one play set is functional and everything else is going to suck. <laughs> But, like, uh, I'm excited to start, like, writing El Sabor de l'Amour and things like that. That should be a new little wrinkle in things. Uh, the audience reaction cards did not get used, but mm-hmm. we played for 50 minutes. Yeah. So. I, so, I want to cover two things real quick. Yeah. Um, I want to make sure we get to where you're going to go next. Okay, yeah. And I have an idea to pitch to you. Okay. Sounds good. Uh... Okay, so where, where I'm going next, needless to say, I'm still deep in writing. I'm going to keep on writing and just kind of skip the audience reaction sections. I want to bring the game back into a place that the table is rowdy. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've lost a little bit of the rowdiness, which is, you know, not horrible necessarily, but it would be nice to get some a little bit of that back at least. Uh, so I'm going to get some playtesting with that uh, in terms of messing with the audience reaction, because I think the audience reaction cards just aren't as exciting. Uh, and additionally, I want to get some additional playtesting in terms of keys in a longer setting, because that's the only way I'm going to learn if keys work. I, I need to run a Passion campaign. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll stream it. Maybe get some people and just be like, hey, <laughs> make some hashtag content with me. <laughs> um, But yeah, that's more or less where I'm aiming in a general sense. Uh, I think audience needs to be rewritten. I think experience needs to be rewritten. But I think the basic moves and the playsets are getting to a point that they're pretty solid. Uh, I want to give the playbooks another rewrite because no one's using their playbook moves. Again, I don't know if that's because it's an hour of time and there's no time to like actually learn what your playbook is about. Or if it's because the playbook moves are just not as exciting as the basic moves. Which, either one... I think is good to take a little second glance at. So let me, let me before, so before, I guess before we move off of your game entirely, sure. I want to pitch this idea to you because okay. it was, um, so at Metatopia, I went to a panel um, about what LARP and RPGs can learn from each other. Okay. And I think that this might be something that, that might be a way to solve your your audience participation issue cool and your rowdiness issue okay um, that would so, be phenomenal <laughs> it's like my two big issues you could fix yeah. them right now that'd be great so um i'm gonna assume that you are super not familiar with larp because i know that you are <laughs> um uh, although you did do that one larp at dreamation i've played a total of like three larps james did you so. have you ever done a workshop for a larp i don't I don't, don't think okay. so. If it doesn't sound familiar. So there's a concept in, I okay. think it's specifically in Nordic LARP okay. um, of, of a workshop 
which is a series of activities that you do as the play group prior to actually playing the game. Okay. And it includes, I think it includes like teaching the rules, uh, making sure everyone is super familiar with the safety mechanics, but it okay. also it's involves like, a session like zero. Help, helping to set tone. Okay. Um, and so I was thinking you could design um, a, like look into, and, and so one of these things that, they, that this panel was talking about um, is that RPGs could learn from that and do like short form narrative activities prior to playing a game that would help you get into the mental space hmm. of the game. Yeah. And so I wonder if you couldn't um, set people down, teach them about the rules, do character creation even maybe. And then before you're about to start playing, do like a workshop where they play the family watching the TV show. Um, Interesting. Okay. And, and and pitch it as that and have some like lead activities like where you as the facilitator um, or GM eventually uh, like walks them through some activities, talks like talk, ask them about what their favorite previous episodes were, things that shocked them, all that sort of stuff. Get them yeah. being rowdy. And at the, at the very end, be like, oh, the TV show like it's on. And then like like go to like then go turn into the remote things. on and then go into the game once you've got people like hyped up and in that mind space of these these people watching a TV show. Interesting. That's cool. I dig that idea. I've, I've got a- some of those questions in the playset, mm-hmm. but framing it as like an actual activity. Yeah. That's really solid. Um, and I think that it would work really well for your game because especially because because I, as, as I understand it, you're not necessarily playing the characters you're going to play in the LARP. Um, and I know that for right, like yeah, more yeah. extreme LARPs, literally the ratio, like I was looking it up re- briefly before we started, is like do a two-hour workshop and then play a two-hour LARP. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, but for some of those LARPs, it's like it's super important that you be in that mind space. Yeah, absolutely. And for some of them, it's like some of it's like literally doing trust falls and stuff to like yeah. build group cohesion to make sure you all trust each other. Yeah. So that because some of them are really, really, really intense. Some of them really heavy. But for you, you don't need people to be trusting and, and they're not super heavy you need people to yeah. be rowdy and get into that uh telenovela mindset yeah yeah that's cool and so something like that some sort of a pre-game activity that's interesting i like that a lot that's a, that's that's a curious thought because because yeah. that's similar to what i was doing with some of the background questions because i have like mm-hmm. some questions of like hey what was the sh- the most like shocking romantic tw- twist that has come previously yeah, but like, if instead of that being a thing that a player answers, people are discussing it and talking yeah. about it and moving through it, or get them to answer that question, but from the point of view of the family watching. Yeah, yeah, that is something. To, that is definitely something to test out. I like that. That's really cool. I like that idea. This is why I go to panels. Yeah, I this, find the solutions to all your problems. This is why I don't go to panels because you go to panels and get solutions to my yeah. problems. But uh, yeah, if you, <laughs> you're reinforcing um, I think that my was, negative um, behavior. Was Jason Morningstar and Jacqueline Brick. I think so. Who were talking about that um, on that panel? So maybe hit up Jason Morningstar and be like, "Hey, teach me about workshops." <laughs> I'd probably be more comfortable talking to Jacqueline because I actually know her. <laughs> yeah, and um, she's fantastic. Everyone should check out her stuff. 
Let's talk about my game real quick. Yeah. Um, my playtesting is, again, like very different than yours because, like I said, <laughs> I don't, I function, like my game actually, again, may be a LARP, which is like, which is was news to me, but someone explained what a card LARP was. And I was like, that is dangerously close to what I have designed. James, um, and I, also, all of your dinosaur games are LARPs. Yes. Oh, definitely the sitting on a field, a uh, hill, looking up at the sky, la- <laughs> dinosaur thing is a hundred percent a LARP. I think there's so. a possibility that stop back and roll has become like just more conscious and has developed us into different uh, types of designers <laughs> in order to give yeah. us a better pitch. Oh God, that's so weird. But yeah. anyway, so I function <laughs> as a facilitator in my in my games. Okay, I teach them the rules because the rules aren't written down, and I make them up usually <laughs> in the moment. And there was at least one game where I gave two different groups different answers to the same question. Okay, um, they were asking like how to draw the cards. Um, uh, so so okay, that gets into my testing methodology. But okay. um, so I um, I facilitate. So I just sit there and I I prep people and I teach them how to play, and then I let them go and I sit back. Yeah. And so like one of the things that so this game this year is so much more designed mature than okay. it was last year. Yeah. Um I pulled back some things that needed to be like I like last year I had a couple cards like so my cards in general are better. Last year I had a couple cards that just straight up said things like you commit adultery. And this okay. year it's like you get a little too close with one of your friends. What like what happened? Yeah. Or and so like it's not it's there if you want to engage with it, but it's not if you don't. And I think okay. that's so much better. Yeah. Um so the thing that I changed this year from last year is everything is card based now. Okay. Um, right. Last year you chose a route and the routes were cards. Um but uh, and they had prompts on them, but just for the hauler. This year, the roots are... I'm going to just rapidly switch back and forth between calling them roots and routes because <laughs> I don't know what my accent is. Um, <laughs> so the the routes are all on a sheet, and there's only six of them. There are going to be more, but I had six this year. Okay. Um, and they tell you how many years you experience if you go on that route. Uh, and... The and so then the way that it works then is if you go on a, a route where the ice hauler experiences two years and you as and the and the lighthouse experiences six years, then the ice hauler draws two cards and the ice hauler draw and the, and the lighthouse draws six cards. You draw a year for every year you experience. Perfect. Yeah. When I went in, I knew the game was broken because yes. some of my routes were like one year, ten years, and that's not gonna work uh okay. there was one that was like oh no no sorry it was one in 20 yeah, and two in 10 20 which is just like so much and so what i did was for my that poor first play test i had um the i gave them the cards and i just said uh go try this and i didn't tell <laughs> them and so like there were a couple players who they did hit that 20 card roll a bunch of times and a lot of what i was observing was like, I know this is broken. How broken is How it? How broken is it? Is it worth trying to, to, to fix. fix it in this moment? Or And, and what I discovered is, and like, wh- I was also looking for like a little, like little things. Like, what do people do with the cards once they've got them? Yeah, yeah. Because I had sort of envisioned that, like, because a lot of my feedback last year was like, they needed a way to visualize how many years they, have li- they had lived or how yes. old they were. Yeah. And so this year I was like, I maybe the cards are kind of a timeline you could lay out. Yeah, I can see um, that. And people didn't really didn't do that though. Maybe if the design was different, but okay. people didn't do it. Yeah. What they did do 
we'll sort of just stack them and have them. Okay. So that's a different problem I still need to solve. But um, one of the things that was really cool was that I... This was part of my testing methodology, which is that my game is really rules light. The kind of core mechanic of here are the roots, draw one card per year, and then go is really the extent of the rules. I have some thoughts on like how you should do that. Yeah. But largely I didn't tell people intentionally. And this comes to like when they would ask me questions like, do I have to draw the cards one at a time and deal with them? Or do I draw them all and then look through them? Or things like there were a couple cards that were like, um, you lose half your income. Well, mm-hmm. in a in a in a at one point later in the convention after I had rewritten the roots to get rid of the the super long ones, um, I had one where you got paid out half first and then half at the end, and so yeah. someone said, "Do I when you say you lose half of your income, do you mean don't get paid that second half or get paid half of that second half?" Oh yeah, that's a big question. I didn't specify that that sort of thing, and so when people asked, I would give them an answer. But if they didn't, I was watching to see what they did naturally. And it was very cool to do that. Yeah. And to see like the players build the rules. That is and, a very cool thing to be able to look at and see like what is the natural thing for people yeah. to do. Um and and so like what I learned was my if you and, and and it's good because if if people had asked me or if I had gone in telling people the rules, I would have said, draw the cards one at a time, deal with them. They are years of your life. Yeah. They go in and order. They go in order. And that's awful. No one should do that. <laughs> the game, like, what is so good about the game, a strength that I discovered of my game that I didn't know it had, was that the way these prompts interact with each other is beautiful. And I get things like, for my second playtest, uh, I got to play because one of my playtesters didn't show up. Okay. And so to just even keep playing, I like to get the person playing, I played. Yeah. Um, and so for one round, I had to draw three cards. I was the lighthouse. And I drew, you died, the world economy collapses, uh, lose all your money, and someone breaks into your house to steal something with the option to pay to say they don't steal everything. Yeah. And so if I had just drawn those in order, I would have died first and the other two pieces of story would have been would gone. Would have just been gone. Yeah. Um, and so as it was, I played it with letting them like merge. And so what happened was that when, so when you die, the, the, the you die card says show up as a friend or family member. Yeah. And explain what happened. So I role played as a as a, I think my son and said, you know, the economy cor- collapsed around the world and times got really hard. And some people yeah. broke into our into our commune because I was living in a commune at the time, uh, and to rob us of our stuff. And yeah. the character that I was playing tried to defend the house and okay. got killed in the process. Yeah, and like that is not great. a story that I wrote into any of the cards. No, it's a story yeah, that came out of the way the cards merged with each other, which was really yes. cool. And yeah. leaning into that is something that I'm definitely going to need to do. That is really cool. That is one of the big advantages of having the card style game yeah. too. Yeah. So things that I need to go do going forward, um, I still have some some uh, some tonal issues when I wrote okay. um, when I wrote the cards. So like I rapidly. So what happened was I was planning all of this, and like a, a couple days before the convention started, I went, "Oh, right. Well, if so, this is another thing of like letting people play and like build rules for me." Yeah. Was that last year I didn't really have as many ends 
of the story. Like people weren't hitting the like you die options because the largely you had to choose them. Okay. Um, I and see. so it was just like go to play until you feel like you're done. And the answer was that most people felt like four to five trips was how long the game naturally lasted. So I was like, well, if I'm playing five times and you're possibly drawing 20 cards, that ne- means I need 100 cards. And yeah. so yeah, to say, I didn't hit that many cards. Many. Too many cards. Yeah. I didn't hit that many cards, but I did expand from like 26 up to 50. So yeah. I doubled the amount of cards I had. And so some of my prompts, I lost balance in the prompts. I had been trying to keep like hit this like melancholy tone and okay. too many of my prompts were sad <laughs> and bad things. So I need to like pull back some of the sad things, add some more happy melancholy things. Yeah. Um, I'm still getting a lot of weird like um, information conveyance issues. Okay. It's the best way that I keep phrasing this, which is like, how do I so how do I make the things feel long? Okay. Um, yeah. And also, th- how do I avoid problems where it's like on your first turn, if you draw a card that says your son is or your child is getting married, but you've established that you are a twenty year old couple who doesn't have kids? Well, then yeah. where did that child come from? That card shouldn't be yeah. showing up early in the game. It should be showing up later in the game. Or that card should be something on the lines of like someone very close to you, someone very important to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I can make it less, uh, more vague. Even yeah, if you that's give probably like the solution to that. Someone very close to you, a a child, a family member, and just like list child first. Yeah. Then people will default to child if it makes sense, and then skip yeah. off it if it doesn't. Yeah. Um. And then I definitely still have to have some other system to track age. I don't know how. Okay. I don't know what yet. Um. But. I think maybe it was you had suggested keeping uh, tokens for how many yeah. years you have left in your life. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and like just basically <laughs> like get, pull off tokens. Because uh, admittedly, that, that is like me doing sad stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or the other way around, stacking them up. Uh, and then I don't know. I have, there's still a currency. I, I liked the currency. I, I'm not sure. I think okay. I need to add more choices to all of the roles. One of okay. the things that I discovered was that even so, six cards ultimately ended up being what felt like that was a lot of cards to process. It felt like a long time um, in okay. play. Yeah. And so, like, for the players could build a story that yeah. felt like six years had passed. Okay. Um, but even with six cards, you still end up with like, I'm the lighthouse. I draw six cards. Three of my cards have questions I have to answer or choose to spend money on. Yeah. I've got a lot of things to think about versus the lighthouse or the, the hauler is going to draw one card which has no questions and they're done. Yeah. And so yeah. having some questions or options on the light on the, the hauler side is something I'm, I need to work on. That makes I sense. Didn't, I went in really wanting to play test the four player version. And okay. I did. It ran into a lot of problems because it was that first play test where oh, I still yeah. had the roots that were like crazy too long. Yeah. Um, so I need to find some solutions to that. Well, I never went back to it. Um, I need to deal with how like world events happen. Okay. Uh, and so if like if you draw like a couple of the lighthouse cards are like climate change accelerates and the world floods too much. Well, that's like a yeah. world event that should affect the other person. Okay. So yeah. like how do I make that happen? And I, I haven't quite figured it out. It could be like some of the cards are labeled as world cards. And so if the, if you draw a world card, you share that information. Yeah. Um, or yeah. maybe it's its own deck and I sell like four player version of the game as an expansion. Mm, yeah. That, that could be something that would make sense. Yeah. Um, there's because... nothing wrong with focus, like laser focusing the game on a two player version. 
and then allowing some expansion to a four. Yeah, yeah. So especially because that, so the way that the the four player version solves some of that problem is while the lighthouses are each having their own um, lighthouse, like their their time to think about their cards, the yeah. haulers can be having a scene on the ship, uh, and then I would have like ship cards for them to draw. So I don't yeah, know. That, it's, that it's makes a lot of I sense, still, to be honest. Yeah, I think the game is still very good. Everyone okay, agreed good. that my core, like the core conversation part, is very good. good. Um, I had a lot of great play tests. Uh, I didn't have anyone say like this is terrible, uh, <laughs> but a lot of people said like the core conversations are good, but some of like the money didn't feel good. Like the first play test group, because they were drawing so many cards, they drew right. all of the like you lose your money cards, and so they yeah. were broke the whole game. Um, everyone yeah. agreed we needed I need a, it still needs some kind of an end game mechanic right okay. now the only way to the, to end the game is if you decide to arbitrarily or your character or you dies. die yeah um, and so we had a lot of character <laughs> death but uh, which I don't want necessarily I want it to be a game that can be happy yeah absolutely I think that, that there's nothing wrong with it being a game that can be happy I think it actually yeah. it probably is better if it is a game that can be happy yeah, yeah. One of the things that somebody wanted, and this is where like having, if you had a stack of tokens um, at an average lifespan, basically, and you yeah. just pulled off, you could have look at your stacks next to each other. Yeah. Um, and because what they wanted to know was like, if we finish, how much life do we get to live uh, yeah. with each other after we're done? And so that would be cool. Um, you know, I need to figure that out. That death card, if you had some tokens related to how much life you have left in you Mm -hmm. you could have it say like sickness if you have above this many tokens left then you have then you have some sickness you have some like you know health difficulties if you have below this many left then you die Mm. yeah did i tell you the story about how someone uh gamed my system to commit suicide in the story yes you did which was it was very emotional it was the only time someone has cried playing my game um and basically the lighthouse who had had established a story so far where they had lost an a limb they had cancer they were like they had had their lungs replaced with um, machine lungs because all of humanity was living underwater because the world had been just basically destroyed. And when they were trying to decide which route to go on, uh, the, the hauler was arguing for a five and five route where they would both yeah. age five years, but they wouldn't like desync from each other as much. Yeah. And he, the, the lighthouse pushed for a two and six because he was like, I know there is a character death card in this deck and I'm probably going to hit it statistically. And also, it makes mm. sense for my character to die, and yeah. I want her to come back and still be young and have like Ugh. life left to live. And so he did. He pushed her into that, but didn't tell her that, and yeah. then did draw the death card, and then like had to go as his own sister and explain that meant that thought process to her. And yeah, it was so good. It was so that, powerful. That sounds so intense. That is that is such a cool space to be able to create at the table, especially like with yeah. proper safety tools and everything like that. Yeah. Cause that, that is some very intense stuff. Yeah. One of the things so like for the purposes of safety tools, um yeah. I definitely need some sort of a decompression thing at the end. And one mm-hmm. of the things that uh that has been happening naturally that I think I'm just gonna codify into the rules okay. is like when you're done 
spend some time looking at the cards that everyone drew. Okay. Because everyone wants to know, oh, like, where did that story come where from? Where did that? Like, did yeah. you create that? Or did that, was that on a card? Like, how much of this yeah. did you create? And so spending some time to talk over the cards uh, seems to be the, the thing that has always just happened at the end. And I think will be something that I encourage people to do. Yeah, that definitely makes sense to have as a space to, like, just kind of make sure that people are on the same page about things also. Yeah. That's that's really very, interesting. It was very good. All my playtests were good. I learned a lot. Good. I Again, I got to sit back and, like, again, a, a lot of what I was testing was, like, how do people handle some of these things? Like, how, like mechanically, how do they physically handle the cards? How yeah. do they, like, how do they draw? What do they do with the cards when they draw? Because I'm looking for, like, how people interact with the game that exists. Where, like, yeah. even little things, like, so you have a stack of, I had a little um, stack of tokens, um, uh, poker chips to be the, curren- okay. the currency. And things yeah. like, what do you do with the currency? Like... Mm. Does the do you shuffle and put the light do you put them in a stack between you? Do you put them like does the lighthouse take all the currency? When I played, I laid all my cards down and when I spent money on a card, I put a token on that card, but other people just discarded the card the the token. Interesting. And so okay. just like watching little things like how they interact physically with the game and the tools was yeah. super interesting to watch and a lot of my notes are about that. <laughs> That's really funny. That isn't something that I would have thought of as being like a potentially useful or important thing, but that 100% is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I need to play this game like sooner <laughs> rather than later. Yeah. Well, I know do, Elspeth wants to play, so maybe the two of you can... Can go do that. Do you... So, so, what is the, so what is the next step in terms of this game? Definitely, it sounds like you want to do some rebalancing of some cards... Yeah, I need. I think the biggest thing right now is the roots. They need okay. to be not. So the other thing that I that I learned from this was that I want the roots to be back on cards, so that you're not looking okay. at a big list of six all the time. Yeah. Um. I want. I mean, it, it didn't go badly, but I want people to like not have the like. No one did this, but you could in theory choose the optimal route over and over and over again, and none mm, of them are supposed yeah. to be good. But if you just find the one that you like for your couple, you could just yeah. do that over and over. Um, and I want okay. people to not have that option. I want them to make hard choices. And yeah. so yeah. I want to put them back on. I also wanted to... Putting them putting them on cards as well lets me say, here are the 12 standard routes, but there are a couple that may come up in play. Like somebody wanted to have... At one point... So I, I, when I changed over the routes, I changed them to 0.5 years and one year. Okay. Um, and they didn't see the point. They thought it was five years in one year. <laughs> and I was like, that's not really how like science works. Yeah. But maybe I should have like a weird, like there's a wormhole. You go through it and come yeah. back five years later. But Earth yeah. has only experienced one year. And so having all the roots on a uh, on a card. Let's you swap things let in me and out. do that. Yeah. 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 So I, I want to do that. I think I think playing with the root numbers and how, how many years passed. Um pass by are is important that's my next big step plus working on um on just like little things like i think i want to break the roots out for the cards out from one year to like six month cards one year cards and five year cards i think that will solve some of my information problem yeah that could definitely be so we'll see it's it's interesting i'm sure we'll we'll do another episode on it probably sooner than later because i have some like really obvious immediate changes i need to make and i want to play test it with you guys that's great. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, is it is it a game that we could play online or maybe not? That might be difficult. Yeah, to do. I think you could. Oh, we could um, split the deck because we draw from different decks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. I could probably make it work online. So just if we decide we want to try to do that as some sort of a streaming thing, we theoretically could. Yeah, I think so. Or if I'd you'd rather n- have people work, not yeah. all see your game right away while it's still in its rough form. All right, so... Um, but that's awesome. It sounds like you got some really good, use, really useful feedback. Yeah, I did. It was always... It's, it's always weird. I'm, I'm in that phase, too, where, like... I'm very early on. So like I said, yeah. I, I'm mostly just like watching. So like yeah. I had some players like in that first group uh, who didn't take the game as seriously mm, um, yeah. and weren't necessarily playing the way that I would want people to play. Yeah. And their feedback was not super great because of it, because they had not really engaged with some of the systems of the game. But yeah. like that was fine because I'm almost not even interested. In, like I'm not, I'm not not interested, but like I'm not there to necessarily get their verbal feedback i'm looking yeah. at like how do how do they interact with the game I, I don't need them to tell me with their words yeah that 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 is something that i'm i'm starting to have really torn feelings about with metatopia like i understand for example why the price is higher for designers than for non-designers mm-hmm. because there's more setup involved with them uh there are there's like more need, I guess, for players than there is for designers because you need to fill tables. And like that kind of like forms an artificial uh, barrier to enter of entry that like, you know, I've got a lot of thoughts of in terms of privilege and things like that. But uh, that to the side, like I see how functionally that works. But I think by being a a convention that is relatively easy to access for a lot of people. Uh, because it is in the New York area yeah. and because it is pretty inexpensive at 20 bucks, you get a lot of people that are just are there to play games because that is their closest convention. That is their easiest to access convention. And so they're just there to play games, not to actually play test. Yeah. Which is, I think when we come back around and do a how to play test or how to run a play test, like yeah. I went in knowing that I was maybe going to get some people who were not going to take it seriously yeah, and that uh, and that was fine because I because of what I was playtest or what the way I was testing, it's hard, it's easier for me, harder for you because of the yeah. different ways that we playtest. I'm I'm increasingly starting to think that that playtesting at Metatopia is not useful for me in terms of getting actual feedback to change my game, but is useful for me in terms of getting my game in front of other people. Yeah. Just to, like, raise hype. Yeah, which is part of it. But, like, for that matter, uh, like, hey, uh, Dexcon and Dreamation are both less expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. If you're a game designer, if you're coming in as a designer. I wonder if I could bring my game to that. I should do that. You can. Yeah, absolutely. You can even, you might even be able to uh, bring it for free using, like, the Indie Games Explosion or something like that. Cool, cool. Uh, Yeah, so, (laughs) I don't know why. I left Metatopia this year, like, kind of down on Metatopia. It just it didn't the hit in the same way. Because yeah. I've personally got into some bad tests. Yeah, uh, but this year I came out really high on Metatopia. So, <laughs> well, so we switched. So yeah, we just kind of switched up on that. Although I will admit, like every year coming back in Metatopia, there's been like a 10, 15 minute grumble session <laughs> at the very beginning of the ride. Like you can't even pretend I don't do that hardcore each time. No, I mean it's whatever. Yeah, um, it's so just, it's you- tough. 
if you want to talk to us about our games or grumble with us about Metatopia uh, or rave about Metatopia, because honestly, I still think it's more positives than uh, than negatives. Um, then reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, hit us up at, at Stop Back and Roll, or I'm individually at and the Meltdowns, and I'm at Doctor Captain Cobalt. Um, if you want to find all of our episodes, uh, links to some of the games we've been working on and other ways to contact us, all that sort of stuff, you can check us out at www.stophackandroll.com. If you'd like to contact us in a more long-form way, you can email either of us at james or brandon at stophackandroll.com. You can uh, find our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever. Um, and, and if you, if you happen to see a little, like a star, star button, maybe like a five stars, uh, just, uh, tap that real lightly and then maybe, uh, leave a review, uh, giving us good reviews or bad reviews helps us know what to do better. (laughs) And, uh, and good reviews help us help other people find our show. They, they, they work that algorithm and, and help grow the, grow the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We make this podcast and other podcasts on our network with the support of our Patreon backers. Welcome to our new backer, Greg Walters, as well as old favorites like Anthony Nomorosa, Troy Pitchelman, Lon Niedermayer, David Raynard, Blake Ryan, Chad Owen, Tanta Month, Panic Productions, and Evan Nyquist. If you'd like to help support this show and future shows, check us out at patreon.com slash stop, hack, and roll. We are currently about $20 a month short of hitting one of our, our, ne- our next funding goal, uh, which we will celebrate by doing a live version of this show uh, streamed over probably Twitch. Uh, and then I will edit the show live so you can see what, what that whole process looks like from beginning to end and how oh, we cool. record all of the intro stuff at the end, which I think people don't realize, <laughs> um, and uh, which is an old school radio trick I learned. Yep. Um, but if you can't support us financially, that's also totally fine. We love to just communicate with people and, and have people be part of our community. A lot of what we decide to talk about every week is pulled from like what people on the, on the Discord are talking about. Um, and so come join our Discord, which you can find at tinyurl.com slash shrdiscord or discord.stopackandroll.com. So if you were coming back from a convention where you just uh, playtested a whole bunch of games, uh, don't forget to go over your notes and and uh, think about what you're going to change in your game going forward. And also, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Stop, hack, and roll.